Eckert. Cheers. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be safe from my enemy. You know the Lord liveth and blessed be the rock and let the God of my salvation be exalted. The Lord liveth and blessed be the rock Preston Crest. What a day. What a weekend. What a blessing it has been to be together with one another here at this conference, to be together with one another here in worship today. We are so very thankful for your presence. My name is Mike Pipkin. I'm one of the elders here at Preston Crest. And if you are a member here, we're thankful that you're here. Please check in by texting the word check, uh, word check in to the word, uh, why I need to get all this together in my brain. Check, text the word check in to the number on the screen in front of you. If you're a visitor here, we're especially glad that you're here. You've got um, the ability to scan the barcode on the card in front of you to, to give us the information uh, for, for you being here. Uh, you also, if you're a first-time member, we probably have a few first-time uh, first-time guests who are here. Uh, please take that card to the booth back in the back, and we've got a special guest, uh, special gift for you there. 
Again, this has been a fantastic weekend. The Telling the Story Conference, our first ever, uh, first ever event to do this, and it has been fantastic. Amen? Uh, I think we do need to give credit where credit is due. Uh, there is no way that this conference could have uh, come off the way that it has and blessed so many people from near and far. I talked to people from Illinois, I talked to people from Missouri, uh, talked to people from all over Texas, uh, Tennessee and Oklahoma, um, and Arkansas as well. Uh, there's, it, it was just a fantastic weekend, and that doesn't happen without an immense organizational effort, uh, a committee of people that worked so very hard to put this together, but at the top of that committee were two people that, who, who deserve recognition. Uh, one is Jacob Hawk, our, our young adults minister here, who, who head the, headed the committee and did a spectacular job uh, putting it together and, and making the train run on time. But it didn't, it didn't run on time without Kelly Wilkinson. <laughs> so if we could just take a moment to show our appreciation to Jacob Hawk and Kelly Wilkinson for their great work. That was well-earned applause for, for both of you, for sure. Um, another thing that I want to bring to your attention, and if you're, and there's Kelly right there, she missed the applause. Hopefully she heard it. Um, you, most of you, most of you hopefully got the annual report for the congregation in the mail this week. Apparently, mail delivery in University Park is a little behind because of the ice. I didn't get mine, uh, but I got mine just in the, uh, in the, on the table back in the back. We want to thank Angie Maddox for the very, very hard work that she uh, did to put this together for us. It's gorgeous. It tells us, uh, tells a lot about what was accomplished uh, in God's name and to his glory in the year 2022. And if you're visiting with us, Grab a copy. We'd love for you to have it. You can see what Preston Crest has been about in 2022. Uh, we're just so thankful for each of you who are here today to join us. If you would, let's, let's start our time in worship and prayer, and then we'll, uh, we'll hear from God's Word before we turn it back over to John Scott. If you would bow with me, please. Lord, what a blessing it has been to be in your house and be in your presence over the last two days and here this morning as we conclude the Telling the Story Conference. Lord, we have felt your spirit working through the rooms of all who taught, working through all of the, the brothers and sisters who have come from such far distances to be with us for this weekend. Well, we can just learn more about telling your story, telling the story of the good news and the gospel. And Lord, we know that from the very moment your son began his ministry on earth, the plan was for us to carry that message. He had to speak it to us. He had to speak it to his apostles. But we are the salt of the earth, and we are the light of the world. And it's our responsibility, Lord, to let our, our light shine before others so that they can see your good works and give glory to you. Lord, help us to know that your spirit is living within us. Your spirit is that light within us. And help us to be ready when asked to give the reason for the hope that we have 
to be ready to do that, to rely upon your spirit, to rely upon the, the, the good news, the Bible that you provided for us, this owner's manual uh, that you've given to us to be able to spread that message. Lord, we are thankful to be here today. May our worship be pleasing to you. And Lord, just help us as we go through the remainder of this day to let the Spirit shine through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord. This is from Psalm 146, verses 6 and 10. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. Let's continue our worship. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, my praise. Thank you. 
this morning do you go go ahead and be seated go ahead and be seated you still believe it all right as we enter into our time of communion this morning we're going to sing one more song about the blood and then uh, Gordon Dabbs is going to come and share with us around the bread and the cup oh the blood crimson Good morning. It's good to be together singing about what we have in Jesus. Amen? Oh, the blood of Jesus that sets us free. He says in Luke chapter 22, the Word of God says, He took the bread, and when he had given thanks, 
He broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Theologians bat around a lot of multi-syllable words when they talk about what we're about to do, the breaking of the bread, propitiation, sacrament, transubstantiation, consubstantiation. But Jesus just uses two syllables. He says, this is for you. His body was given for you. He died at Calvary for you. Let's pray to him now. Lord Jesus, uh, we are so grateful. Words are inadequate. Thank you for giving your body for, for us and for our salvation. We thank you. Amen. Verse 20, likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. His blood was poured out for us. Let's pray. Amazing grace, Jesus. Thank you for seeing us and caring about us, lost in sin, for shedding your blood that washes us white as snow. I pray, Lord, that we will live in honor of you, live in remembrance of you, live in connection with you, that you will steer our thoughts, our attitudes, our speech, our behavior, our mission in life so that we can share your message of redemption with the world around us. Thank you for giving your blood for us. In your name we pray, amen.
you came this morning prepared to give an offering, you can drop that offering in the box in the middle of our foyer. As so many are already giving online, thank you for that. However you choose to give to, uh, to further the work of God in this place and beyond these walls, thank you. Thank you. One of the great works of this church is going to be happening this next weekend, and it is Safe Conversations, probably one of the single best tools for improving conversations with your spouse or with someone else that you have a relationship. This will help you have good conversations and help you also have tough conversations if needed. Gary Cohorn provides this work here. And Dr. Harold Duncan, wonderful counselor, wonderful counselor here uh, nearby, says this is probably the best tool he's ever seen for helping marriages and helping our relationships. So if you would like to get connected with that, just go to the website and you can, you can do that. Let's, uh, let's bow. Father God, thank you for opportunities to serve, for opportunities to work, to share. We pray for more. Give us more. Expand the boundaries of this place. May we tell the story of Jesus without fear, without apprehension. Free us up. Fill us with your spirit. Fill us with your words and your wisdom, Father. Thank you for safe conversations and other ministries of this church that just help us do that, that help equip us. Father, thank you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray and we praise. Amen. I want to let you know about our prayer quilt ministry. We have a prayer quilt in the foyer right now. And this prayer quilt, please stop by there, tie a knot, say a prayer for Madison Taylor. She is two years old and she is about to have her third open heart surgery. Did I say she's two years old? Two years old. Sweet family. Cole and Amber are her parents, big brother Carter, and I love this. They're asking for the prayers of the surgeon, Dr. Christine Gulisarian. Now, among pediatric thoracic surgeons, she's a rock star, but she's nowhere near the great physician, folks. So take these names with you. Take the Taylor family, specifically Madison, with you this week. And take the name of Christine Gulisarian as she is performing this surgery this week. May their names be fresh on your lips as you go before the Father. All right. Let's, uh, let's be standing, please. We're going to send kids on up to Children's Church. We're going to sing one more song, and then Jacob's going to come up and uh, introduce our, our special speaker for this morning. Let us be faithful, faithful, faithful. Justice and mercy to all, and he promised. 
It's my privilege today to introduce to you Dr. Bruce McClarty. Dr. McClarty currently serves as minister in residence at Freed Hardman University. At Freed Hardman, he teaches graduate Bible courses, he mentors faculty and students, he speaks to various classes and clubs, he serves on the chapel and lectureship committees, he consults with elderships, ministers, and churches. Formerly, Bruce McClarty served as president of Harding University from 2013 to 2020. Prior to being named president, he served as university vice president for spiritual life for eight years. And before he was at Harding, he was the pulpit minister at the College Church of Christ in Searcy, right across the street from the university for 14 years. He and his wife, Anne, also served as missionaries in Kenya for over a year. The couple have two grown daughters and eight grandchildren. I am thrilled that he is here for many reasons. First of all, it's not easy to get him here. He's a very busy man, so I'm glad that his schedule and the dates of this conference matched up. Secondly, I'm thankful for him for leading a university that many of us in this room dearly love so well for the years that he was there and for the years that he spent devoting his life to Harding University. But most of all, I'm thankful for the influence that he's had in my life. I first knew him as the dean of the College of Bible when I was a freshman. It was his first year to be dean. He was one of my professors. I then knew him as Vice President McClarty, and I watched from a distance with great excitement and pride when he became President McClarty. But more than that, he is a dear, dear friend of mine. I'm thrilled that he's here. Let's welcome Dr. Bruce McClarty. Thank <laughs> you. 
say, okay. On means on. So. Please open your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. There is a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. And I know that it's the spirit of the Lord. I've heard about this congregation all of my life. Uh, this is my first time to get to be among you for this weekend. And this weekend has refreshed my soul. It's been wonderful to be here, great to be with Jacob and to see the work that he's doing here and the way you love him and Suzanne and the way they love you. And it's just a, a beautiful thing. And for me, this has almost been like a family reunion. Many of the dearest people in the world are sitting in here this morning and it refreshes my soul to be here. But there is a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. There is peace and there is love and there's joy that you can feel on your skin. And sometimes you need people to come from the outside to tell you that. Uh, and that this is a very special place. And it has blessed me to be here this weekend. When Burkina and Faulkner were doing their marriage enrichment seminar all around the country for so many years, one of the things they would do as a practice for them is that those two couples every year would go to somebody else's marriage enrichment seminar. And their reason for doing that was to focus on their own marriages so that they didn't get into the trap of talking so much that they weren't listening anymore. And they said that, that when they went to those seminars that some of them were fantastic and they learned a lot. And there were others that were just absolutely awful. But they said that the funny thing was it was a great discipline because devoting a weekend every year to think about just our marriage was always a healthy thing, whatever the seminar itself was like. I wonder if congregations don't need to be doing exactly what you have done this weekend. And that is sort of pulling away, you put on a big event, but it was, let's spend a weekend thinking about reaching out and thinking about our neighborhoods and our city. And let's, let's think about how we can do this better because we love the Lord and, and we love the gospel and, and we love people and, and we want to share this message, but it's not easy. And it's something that we, we know we could do better with. Now, it's no secret that in the next 20 minutes, I could help all of us to feel very defeated and guilty. And you could go home today with my having ruined your day. Just talking about reaching out and, and how it just makes no sense that we're not bolder and all of these sorts of things. But I begin this morning with the assumption that you love the Lord and that you love your neighbors and that you long to be able to reach out, reach out in the, in the gospel. When I was teaching sophomores at Harding years ago, uh, as we go on to the next slide, I've, I'm telling the the there, well, this is only my second service up here, and I'm just learning the technology. So, but when I was a, when I was teaching sophomores the book of Acts, I always began in the very first class with a scene from Tyler Perry's movie, Medea's Family Reunion. 
Now, everybody that's kind of nervously chuckling has seen the movie. And they're thinking, how in the world did that make it to an axe class? But my wife and I went to see it one night, and I leaned over at a particular point, and I said, I said, this goes into axe. And here's how the scene is all set up. That it's a family that gathers at the end of the movie on a big farm or somewhere in the Atlanta, Georgia area. And they gather there for this big family reunion. And at a particular point in the movie, the women are all in the house and in the kitchen. And, and they're in there snapping beans. And they're talking. And, and the men are out doing different things. And the teenagers, a lot of them are doing things they shouldn't be doing. And there's all this scattered around the farm. And old Aunt Ruby, who's in her 90s, walks into the kitchen. And she says, I want to be with the family. And so all the women there in the kitchen get up and the music starts to play and they start to walk down the, down the path to this, this log cabin. And as they go along, they see things that just make them shake their heads. They see some family members who are fighting. They see some of the people who are down on the ground with dice and they're gambling. They see lewdness. They see all kinds of things that just cause them to wince. And they, they, they're heartbroken for what they see in their family. They get up to this cabin. And all the people, they don't know what's going on, but Aunt Ruby has rung the dinner bell. And so they all gather there around that front porch. And she says, is this what we paid for? And there's a little boy who says, what's she talking about? And then Cicely Tyson steps up to the edge of that porch and says, let me tell you what she's talking about. And then she tells the story of that family. And she tells of, of how that, that, that the people from whom that whole family came once had been slaves who worked on that land. And then the time came where they bought the land from the widow of the slave owner. And about how that they had worked and, 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 and labored so hard for this family to have a better way and a better day. And she had said they did the right thing when they had no choices. And you have all kinds of choices. And you're making a bunch of bad choices. But she tells the story of the family and, and she calls them to a higher level of living. And then she says this. She says... This is the stock you come from. This is the blood that flows through your veins. These are your people. And that's when I leaned to my wife in the theater and I said, this goes into the Acts class. Because I want them to know as we study Acts, this is not just ancient history. But what we're talking about, these are our people. And this is the stock we come from. This is the blood that flows through our veins. And I'd like for us to look at a couple of passages as we begin this morning. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John have been dragged before the Sanhedrin. And picking up in verse, six, verse 17, But in order that it may not spread any further among the people, let us warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. So they called them, and they charged them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. And here's the verse. But we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. That's the stock we come from. That's the blood that is flowing through our veins. 
And time and again in the book of Acts, there'll be some great point of opposition. There'll be some reversal of things going on. And people could very easily be, be wringing their hands and saying, oh, isn't this awful? And yet the church comes through on the other side better than they were before they, the problem ever started. In Acts chapter 8, we get to the, the, the point where Stephen has been stoned to death and the church is terrified and heartbroken. And I would oftentimes tell my students, I said, you're going to be in church somewhere someday and something really bad's going to happen. Somebody's really going to disappoint you or there's going to be a big fight or there's going to be something that's going to be a real issue. And I said, there is never a shortage of people to stand around and wring their hands and say, oh, isn't this awful? Isn't this awful? Isn't this awful? And I said, my prayer for you is that when that day comes, you're going to stand up and you're going to say, wait a minute, don't you know the story? Don't you know our story? Don't you know the stock from which we come? Don't you know the blood that runs through our veins? It, it, it always, if we put this in the hands of God, it is always, always going to end up better than we were when we started all of this. In chapter 8, verse 1, after Stephen has been stoned to death, and Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. Then he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Can you see the wringing of hands? Can you feel the despair? It's dangerous to be a Christian. People are dying for this thing. And now all the people in power are against us. And the next verse says, and that was the end of the church. You know it's not. The next thing that is said, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. So you take this group of people and you do something bad to them. And you know what happens? God can cause it to make them grow. And so you kick them all out of Jerusalem. And guess what? You've, you've made missionaries out of all kinds of people. And wherever they go, they are going to, they are going to share this message with people who need to hear it. Now, we've been spending the weekend talking about telling the story. And again, this is, this is something that's a frustration, I think, for all of us. Because we know that by all rights, we need to be doing a better job of this. So how do, we, how do we get to that point? And I think it's not by making people feel guilty. And I believe that it's not by talking about uh, things that are just going to make people miserable, but no more effective. I think maybe, let me just, just put this out there today. Maybe a key in all of this is found at the feet of Jesus. Stick with me a little bit. I'd like for us to look at some passages. First one deals with Jairus. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet. I began noticing that this, there's, a, there's a thing about the feet of Jesus. 
They, they, they show up constantly in the Gospels. And so Jairus comes along and he falls at the feet of Jesus and implored him earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. There's nothing, nothing that makes us more vulnerable than when our children suffer or when our children are ill or, or there's, they're burdened in some way and we can't do a thing about it. There's nothing that makes us more vulnerable than that. Jairus, a man who had influence and authority, but when his little girl was sick, there's just nothing to do but in desperation go to Jesus and fall at his feet. A similar story is the Syrophoenician woman. Found in Mark chapter 7, immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of Jesus and came and fell down at his feet. Are you beginning to see a pattern here? Came to Jesus and fell down at his feet. Now, the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. A desperate parent who comes and falls down at the feet of Jesus. When my wife and daughters, two little daughters, and I lived in Africa for about a year and a half, we were there during a, a terrible famine in the land. There was one Sunday where we were supposed to go out to meet with the church at Igane that meets under a mango tree, and we that morning got sick, and so we couldn't go. There weren't phones to connect us all, and so the church that morning that that gathered, they said, well, we're concerned about the McLarty's. So somebody needs to take part of the contribution today and go get a, a, a Matatu and ride into the city and see how the McLarty's are doing. So Serafino comes to our house and we were still a little under the weather, but we, I, he and I sat out on the front porch and visited and and provided the, the classic Kenyan hospitality. Butter some bread and chai tea. And so we sat out on the porch and had a, had a delightful afternoon. And then there came a point in our conversation where Serafino uh, was talking about the drought. And, and I said, did the church pray for rain yesterday? And he said, oh yes, the church must pray for rain. And I said, well, we prayed for rain uh, we weren't able to be out there with you, but we prayed for rain, that God will send the seasonal rains, that the famine will be broken. And Serafino did not look me in the eye as he looked straight ahead, and he delivered the words of like an Old Testament prophet. And he said to me, a rich man cannot pray for rain, because if the rains don't come, he has money to feed his children. And I thought, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. I'm sitting here and I pray for a God to send rain, but I have money in my billfold to buy food for my children. And I don't fear my children going hungry in the same way that you do. As a man who lives from crop to crop, a rich man cannot pray for rain. The Syrophoenician woman and Jairus were in those shoes. They were... They were, they were people who were desperate because their child was ill or afflicted. And they could go nowhere else but to Jesus. And they fell at his feet. And then there was a woman who was known among the people simply as a sinful woman. <clears throat> That's the way people spoke of her. And 
A woman of the city who was a sinner brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Overcome by her her sinfulness, overcome by the brokenness of her life, a point in life where she knew she couldn't fix it by herself. There was a power needed that was beyond her. And so she comes and and she she is at the feet of Jesus and kisses his feet, wets his feet with her hair. Completely undone, bowing before Jesus at his feet. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. The next person on our list here is Legion. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and he fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. This man was like something out of a horror movie. He, he was a, a beast of a man, incredibly strong. He had been bound with, with chains and with shackles. And he broke those things and guards were there. And, and he escaped from them and he would go into the, the, the demons would drive him into the wilderness. And this man, when Jesus comes to the land of the Gerizines, he comes up and he falls down before him. And the story goes on of how Jesus casts this legion of demons out of him and how they go into a herd of swine and the swine run down the hill and into the sea and they're drowned and all the people there are watching what's going on. And the shepherds, or the herdsmen, saw what had happened and they came to Jesus and they found the man from whom the demons had gone out. I love this. Sitting at the feet of Jesus clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Whatever powers had driven this man out into the wilderness and whatever powers broke those chains, whatever powers were inside of this man, the man Jesus, that this man is sitting at his feet now, this man has more power than whatever forces had been plaguing him to that point. And so once again, we, we're, we're there at the feet of Jesus, and we're just fascinated by all that's going on at the feet of Jesus. Then there is the leper. The, Jesus heals the ten lepers, and one of the lepers, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet. You see in the pattern? It just keeps happening. People who are at their wits' end, People who, who are at the end of their rope. People have, who have, are powerless to face the greatest challenges of their lives. They have a way of ending up at the feet of Jesus. And that's always where the story takes a great turn. And it goes from brokenness to being healed. And the leper finds himself falling on his face at Jesus' feet. There's a generic passage that deals with sufferers uh, who had come before Jesus. Great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet. At his feet. And he healed them. And they glorified the God of Israel. But my favorite of all of these... All of these are great. And all of these show the great power of the Lord. My favorite of all has to do with the resurrection. 
So on resurrection morning, when, when Mary Magdalene and the other Mary are there, and they go and the, the body of Jesus is not there, and the tomb is empty, and they're told that, that he's, he's, he's alive, he's not here. And so they departed from the tomb with fear and great joy, and they ran to his disciples, and behold, Jesus met them as they are on the way, and said, Greetings. I would have loved to have heard that word, greetings. You know, a man who's been dead, he's alive, greetings, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. Now, there are others in scriptures that we could go and and talk about the feet of Jesus, but I think you get the picture here. And I wonder if in our desire to do a better job of sharing the gospel. I wonder if in our longing to find better ways to be more effective and more appropriately bold, I wonder if maybe maybe the thing we most need to do is not beat people over the head and make them guilty about it, but instead maybe to ask the church the question, what is our story from our time spent at the feet of Jesus. Everybody in here this morning has has felt that you were stretched about as far as you could be stretched, that, that you had a need that you could not take care of. And everybody in here this morning has had some experience with being at the feet of Jesus and your life being changed. Now, maybe the greatest thing for the church is for us to say, let's stop and think a little bit about the time we have been at the feet of Jesus. And let's think about Jesus when we were at the feet of Jesus. And let's think about how life's changed when we are at the feet of Jesus. And maybe that's the beginning. Maybe that's the beginning of a renewed boldness, a renewed confidence A certainty that we have something to share, even in casual conversation, as we talk with people who are experiencing their own time of brokenness, and we can say, let me tell you where I have found, let me tell you where I found the greatest peace, and where I have found the greatest blessing, and I have found the greatest love I've ever known. Let me tell you when I fell at the feet of Jesus, and let me tell you how faithful he has been. There's a Scottish preacher of another generation named Ian McLaren. I, I love the way he writes about preaching and preachers. And, and one, of, one of my favorite quotations in the world is something that he used to always tell his uh, younger Scottish preachers. He would say, oh, be kind to all because all are having a hard time. And I've never stood in front of a church where I, I thought that's not true. It's always true. Be kind to all. For all are having a hard time. Well, in the year 1894, he wrote this book beside the Bonnie Briar Bush, and it's written in the it's written in a Scottish brogue, and um, and and it it became the next year in 1895, it became the number one best selling book in America. Um, and he tells a story in there about a young man, a young preacher who has gone off to school to learn to, to preach, and he studied all kinds of lofty theories and all kinds of books that he's read and all of that. And he comes back, and he's asked to preach at the village church. 
And so these are just people out in a small village, and he's going to preach on Sunday. So he goes into his study, and he pours everything that he has into this sermon. And this aunt of his, where he's staying, she's in his room cleaning up one day, and she sees his sermon on the desk, and she begins to read it. And as she reads it, she begins to cry. Not because she's moved by it, but because she doesn't understand a word. And this man has been off to school and he has all kinds of things to say about God. But there's nothing, nothing for her. And she talks to him as very tenderly and very cautiously. And she, she tells him that, that these people here are not sophisticated. And they're going to walk out of there thinking, boy, he's a smart man. and He's been to school. And he knows a lot. And then this famous statement from that book where she says, and I wish I had a Scottish accent, I really do, to be named Bruce McLarty and not have a Scottish accent is a terrible injustice. Uh, I would be so much more interesting if I did. Uh, I could read the ingredients of bologna and you would hang on every word, uh, but I don't. But she said to him, You'll say what's right tomorrow when you preach. You'll say what's right. And there's no doubt about it. And a body will be pleased with you. But, oh, Lottie, be sure to say a good word for Jesus Christ. There's not a person in here who can't do that. Say a good word for Jesus Christ. Speak a word of how we've been at his feet and about how he was faithful and is faithful and will be faithful in their lives. I, I, I wrestle with this whole thing of, of even how to describe evangelism. Let's try this. In its essence, evangelism is sharing a God-touched piece of one's own soul sharing our experience at the feet of Jesus. You like that? If it's useful at all, take it with you. But the essence of what we're being called to do is to share a God-touched piece of our own soul, sharing our own experience at the feet of Jesus. That excites me. It thrills me. It's something that, that I, I know I've got stories to tell. I've fallen at the feet of Jesus a number of times in my life, and he's always proven to be faithful. One of my ministry heroes is a man by the name of Jim Bill McIntyre. And Brother McIntyre passed away a few years ago. In my growing up, uh, he, he was always the person our church would call anytime we were launching a new program or we were celebrating an anniversary or whatever. Jim Bill was a great guy because he, he was a great preacher, but he, 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 he just came and he hugged the church and he affirmed the church and he helped us feel good about the good we were doing. Jim Bill McIntyre was a, was a great friend and a wonderful encourager. And at his funeral, the theme on the program for his funeral was, I love to tell the story. At the end of my days, when people gather to say the goodbyes to me, I hope that's the theme of my funeral. I hope it's the theme of my life. I hope it's what people will see was important to me. 
And I believe that for the Preston Crest Church, when people, when people talk about this church out in the community, I, I hope that they will say, you know, there are people who love to tell the story. There are people who, who find ways, in the most natural and loving ways, to say, let me tell you about my time at the feet of Jesus. And let me tell you how faithful he is. I want to say a good word, a good word about Jesus. This morning, we're going to sing this as the invitation song. And I'd like for us this morning to sing it as a song of commitment and as a song of, of challenge, uh, as a song of renewal, as a song that says, says, I love to tell the story. And maybe today we add on to that, and I'd like to talk about his feet because there's some great things that go on at the feet of Jesus and if you're here this morning and you have never become a Christian, I hope you will meet all of us at the feet of Jesus when we sing this song. I hope that you'll come to the feet of Jesus, which is where we got together to begin with, for, us to come to the, for you to come to the feet of Jesus at the cross and to say, I'm undone. I can't do it without you. I, I need you for the cleansing of my soul and for the living of my life. And this morning, if you want to come and, and say that to the Lord, that, that's called faith. And for you to turn from living for self to living for Jesus, that's called repentance. And for, for you to confess that Jesus is now going to be your Lord. And then for you to participate in his death, burial, and resurrection by being baptized into Christ this morning. There would be nothing that would make this group of people happier than to linger a little bit and do that. But this morning when we sing the song of invitation, we're going to meet at the feet of Jesus. We're going to sing, I love to tell the story. Won't you be part of meeting us there as we stand and sing? I love to tell the story of
Thank you, Brother McClarty, for your lessons, not only this morning, but also yesterday as well. Uh, thank you again to, to Jacob and to all those that helped put this together. And thank you to John Scott for leading us in worship. Trooping through I, what I know is a little bit of a rough voice this morning, just talking to him. We're just glad everybody's here. Let's bow for a brief word of prayer. Lord, I pray a blessing and ask your blessing over all those who are here today, especially those that came to our congregation of believers here at Preston Crest, perhaps for the first time, but maybe, maybe for second or third time, but to be part of this conference, Lord. We are just so thankful for everyone who is here, and I pray a blessing of safety as we all return home. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Lord, a couple, uh, couple of announcements, uh, if we could. First of all, we will not be having a evening service uh, here. Uh, we've all been, many of us have been here since Friday night. So we're going to take an opportunity uh, to uh, take a break tonight, but not if you're in LTC. If you are one of our kids that's going through LTC, we've got 92 kids who have been registered for LTC. I'm told you're supposed to wear the uniform of your favorite team tonight as you meet in the fellowship hall. So I'm looking forward to pictures of that. Um, so that'll be, that'll be here at the building tonight. Now next week, we're also going to have a different schedule for our evening service. I'm told that there's a football game between the Dallas Texans and the dreaded, or Dallas Texans and the dreaded and feared Philadelphia Eagles. Yes, the Kansas City Chiefs were the Dallas Texans. Look it up. Um, <laughs> We're going to meet here at 4 o'clock uh, for a, a brief devotional service, but then I know that there's going to be opportunities for our members to gather in fellowship. I know for one, the young adults will be across the street starting at 5 o'clock uh, for, uh, for food and fellowship and watching a game some of you might care about. Um, so we'll be doing that next week. Finally. I do want to call your attention to, to this next thing that we're doing. Uh, as you may recall, in years past, uh, we have asked, we've, we have gone through readings of the Bible together. We've used the, the Bible Project uh, video series last year as we worked through the Bible together. But this year, especially as we leap off of this time where we have, we have talked about how we can share the good news about Jesus with one another and with people that we encounter. We, we want this, uh, this year, the elders are calling on the members of this congregation to commit to memorizing scripture. And we're gonna make it easy for you. Believe me, we're gonna make it easier for you than we make it for the kids in the attic. They memorize the ABCs of scripture. Lisa talked about that in her lesson uh, last week where there's a verse dedicated to each letter. We're just gonna go with 11 verses since we're starting in, uh, in February. But we, we ask you to commit to memorize these scripture, but then to use them as you're encountering people that are in need of the light that we have, the spirit that's in us. So we're going to start with John 3.16. This may be one that you've already committed to memory, but if you, if you haven't, let's work on it this month, shall we? Read it with me together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall perish but have eternal life. And the church said, amen. amen.